Guys, we are Development Hell. Welcome to Development Hell. We are one of four podcasts created within the last year that chronicles the bumpy road that truly is the pass-fail industry known as entertainment. Movies, music, movies, games, television, movies, theater, and literature all have a story to tell. I'm Spike Kittrell, and I'm joined as always by Richard Humphrey and Kyle Anderson, and we go to hell so you don't have to. Boom, baby. Boom, baby. There goes the dynamite. Um, how are you guys doing? It's been a little bit since we've recorded. No, I, so uh, my, my deal with, I mean, I'm, I'm good. I, I'm just going to get into my Don Quixote. Yeah. So past we are, we are discussing this week, um, the 2018, technically the 2018 film, the man who killed Don Quixote written and co-written and directed by Terry Gilliam. Um, and so I wanted to ask you guys two specific questions about Don Quixote history. So one is what is your history of with Terry Gilliam? Uh, Kyle, you go first. So Terry Gilliam is one of those <clears throat> one of those directors that like I've always nodded when people like bring him up in a conversation, and I'll just be like, yeah, no, I think he made Brazil maybe, <laughs> and <laughs> I think it's <laughs> about like Brazil my, maybe. <laughs> I think it's about shiny armor, and that's all I know from Brazil, mm-hmm. <laughs> but. Uh, no, I, I, uh, I, I've, he's always been this dark spot and just, a just a filmmaker who's like tone. I never fully understood because I've never watched his movies. Right. Mm-hmm. I still have, uh, for, for context, one of, uh, one of my editing professors in film school gave me the DVD for like, lent me his DVD for 12 monkeys. And I think I still have it. Huh. But I in film school, they showed us in my documentary class, they showed us Man from La Mancha. Lost in La Mancha. To show you. Yeah, Lost in La Mancha. Um, to show us, like, I guess how hard a movie can be to make. I guess is right. like point. That's a uh, weird, like, this is what it's like. You know, that's not yeah. very helpful. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't super helpful because also it's like. Well, if he can't overcome all of that, then <laughs> yeah. Um, but it it was interesting because at this time when I when I was going to school in twenty what fifteen twenty sixteen that that time there, uh, obviously he hadn't made this great movie out of it. So the last I had heard of this whole Don Quixote Terry Gilliam business was like. Oh, yeah. In the 2000s, he tried and failed to make this thing and it never got made. And boy, is it dumb. And so when you were like (laughs) 2018, I was like, what? And then you were like, yeah, Adam Driver. And I was like, what? Yeah. (laughs) Something interesting came of it. And then like from the footage I saw in uh, Lost in La Mancha, it looked like he was doing at that time, like a very like kind of a straight Don Quixote adaptation, right? Like for the big screen. At um, least that's what it was seemingly like. I, I don't know if it was always. It's what I thought yeah, uh, it was going to happen. It was still. Um, it's it what was, I thought the Adam Driver one was. Well, yeah. Well, the <laughs> same. The original, the Johnny Depp thing seems to have been very much this. An ad executive is 
falls into sort of a Don Quixote tale and can't tell what's real and what's not. I think what was added was this backstory of having already told the story once, you know, of like, mm-hmm. I think it was much more simple of like Johnny Depp, like walks away and ends up in, in the book. Whereas Adam driver is sort of like haunted by a past creation, clearly something that like that, that Gilliam brought into a new draft of this. And, and, and it's, and that to me is kind of, the point the special sauce that makes this movie like fucking fire yeah it like cylinders. transcends like dude, being just it, a movie yeah yeah dude it just even go, the opening like, credits where it's 40 different weird uh like you know hedge funds and then it says finally at long last after 25 years and then the movie starts it's this very like it's a celebration of completion yeah, I'll say I'll say this much. Uh, a couple of those companies, I look them up. They're not even operational no, anymore. No, and we'll get into that. Twenty eighteen. We'll get into that a little bit. <laughs> and 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 one of the companies I was obsessed because I was I thought that I had a bad version of the movie because I was like, well, this logo is playing in such poor quality. Surely the rest of the movie must be. And then the the rest of the movie is fine. This one production company, I don't think they ever rendered their. I think it's like screen media or something. Mm-hmm. I don't think they ever rendered their logo in more than 380p. Because <laughs> I, I googled, I googled them, and their logo is always exceptionally low quality. Guys, this is the content people want to pay for. I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, and Richard, because I mean, what is where's your where you where were you coming at in terms of um, in terms of Terry Gilliam and Don Quixote? I guess. Uh, I mean, like growing up, I always watched like Monty Python uh, and the Holy Grail. It's been a big movie for me. Um, I mean, I didn't get into Terry Gilliam until honestly, Imaginary of Doctor Parnassus. Uh, I feel like, <laughs> like that's I where that. we all and, woke up to and then I, of the Heath Ledger did, of it all. Did he direct? Yeah. Did he direct that? Yeah. Yep. Okay, so I have seen one Terry Gilliam movie, and it turns out it's well a movie that I do not like. Yeah. I do. <laughs> well, that's the thing. With he made lo- this movie, which is a masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> From what I understand, there were a couple of difficulties on Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus as well. <laughs> Quite a few. Um, and then like, I went back and watched like brothers Grimm and like 12 monkeys and a bunch of his like older stuff just cause it was like 2000. And I knew how to torrent. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> And so, like, I I knew uh, that going in. I never saw like Zero Theorem in like 2013, uh, but was pumped for it. That yeah, was another um, one where he, most of his productions have some sort of like shit luck. That was one where he shows up to make a 30 million dollar movie and was told, "Well, you only have about nine, and they still made it. It's like when you have you do Indiegogo instead of Kickstarter, you still have to make the movie even though you didn't reach your goal. So like you're just like, well, I guess Matt Damon's not being paid. I um and then like the man who killed Don Quixote came out and I just never watched it, but I was like, I'll get around to it. And then but I thought it was a straightforward just like Don Quixote like remake, you know. <laughs> Doug, I never even saw a trailer for this movie. This movie like did not oh, that's exist awesome. until you mentioned it to me and I had no idea what it was going in and it's one of those things of like you you expect one thing and then you're 10 minutes into a thing and you're just delighted yeah. that it's something else mm-hmm. two things and Kyle like, discovered in the same episode uh Don uh, the man who killed Don Quixote and the Rocky robot <laughs> <laughs> yeah where's the they, they did cut the Rocky robot 
uh, from this. There was there were about forty five minutes of Rocky Robot that they were originally that yeah. they were supposed to have here. Yeah, there's a whole documentary I, about the about the Rocky robot and his troubles going up a hill. I wish that when we were talking about the Rocky robot, we were talking about like a animatronic Rocky that they had built <laughs> uh, to do certain punch stunts, like the Jaws robot. Adrian, 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 yo, Adrian, I did it. <laughs> I don't remember Don Quixote at all. I, I, I remembered how we all remember it, which is like that school memory, you mm-hmm. know, that like mm-hmm. I'm sh- Don Quixote has been made a billion times. But anytime an artist tries to make it, it it goes south, which um, we'll jump into here. But I, I don't know if if I don't know what analogs there are to the real Don Quixote, except for well, the bases like- of like the guy, the armor, the the windmills, the giants. Yeah, I just know about the windmills and giants. It's yeah. all I've ever known. Like people tell me, "Man of La Mancha" is a musical about like a blind like guy who fights windmills, and I'm like, okay, I, why 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 do I want this? What I I have to imagine, and again, I could be speaking, is that there isn't this like thread of like uh, Islamophobia and like the Inquisition and and sort of like religious persecution. The Islam stuff really like threw me for a loop. Really wild, that, okay. especially when so they doubled down. I was, I was going to say, like, when you are cutting this movie and you are when you're editing this movie, like the the choice to not cut out all of the terrorist stuff Mm -hmm. because you I was thinking about it. I'm like, I think you could easily. Yeah. And it would still be a long movie. And it would still be a long movie. That is good. The terrorist stuff is not my favorite stuff, but it is like. What I like about it is it adds to this like fever dream feeling of everything where like for for him to just explain to anyone like because because he Adam Driver in that movie is such a good character of like he's just such a shitty guy who makes so many poor choices. And then once like the Federale gets shot, he's like, okay, well, now I can't even start telling the truth if I wanted to. Right. (laughs) Like and I, I don't know. He's just kind of a great like thing like that guilt and that weird like like uh, all this weird shit piling up onto itself is like kind of what what drives this whole thing it's weird that like it's the movie never really cuts him slack you know even at the party he's still being rude to the like script supervisor or something and you know that the ending moments are almost like a like punishment upon him or like a like it's you're not like it's there's this celebratory feeling of like the legend of Don Quixote goes but you're also like well we're not losing a tremendous soul by this Dog, happening I feel I feel so bad for that girl that, that yeah the movie, oh, like yeah. she's lost everything and now the guy who she was leaving with thinks he's fucking Don Quixote this and sucks. thinks he's like so you're Sancho that I get to fuck. I I'm like it. I'm Sancho. <laughs> Turns out forever. <laughs> so good. I, um, I I love I love uh, I, I I love the the nature like the balls this movie has to just be like yeah and you know what fuck it we're adding terrorists like fuck it <laughs> yeah for sure. <laughs> um, all right. Well, are we all still recording? All right. I'm good, I believe. All right. Well, so a quick pit stop before we get to The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, which is um, an actually unfinished film, 
just titled uh, that was just supposed to be an adaptation of the source material that was written, co-produced, and directed by Orson Welles in the fifties and sixties. Um, he basically he had uh, fuck where is I had it. Orson Welles was like, yeah, this is fine. But how am I going to get people to commit suicide to this? You know? <laughs> <laughs> that was how he like weighed his scripts. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, this wine commercial will surely drive the darkened to the depths. <laughs> wasn't that, wasn't it him who read the. Yeah. Well, War of the, the Worlds world. thing. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> He was very upset when uh, Citizen Kane barely made anyone kill themselves. Dude, barely anybody. He's like, what was the fucking point? I, dr- I, I broke that nice snow globe for that bullshit for one person to do it. I invented cinema for you all to be alive. I was just trying to make one asshole named Rosebud shoot himself in the head. All I got was critical acclaim. Um... <laughs> So imagine hating magazines so much you change the film industry. <laughs> imagine hating yourself so much you wear a girdle on the radio. Um, so <laughs> girdles on the radio. The man slimmed down for his radio broadcasts. Mick girdles. Um, so basically, Wells just couldn't really mount it. He kept shooting it and shooting it and having failed like one day here, one day there. Um, and eventually production just started pausing a lot of, you see this a lot. The problem with Don Quixote is you want a believably old and senile man. And because of that, you probably got about, you got to hustle once you hire him. Yeah. And like windmill shit, especially back then was probably hard to do. So Orson Welles production shut down when his Don Quixote actor, Francisco Reguera, uh, died. Um, and Wells never brought forth a completed version of the film. As the years passed, <laughs> he, kill, he killed himself after hearing World of the Worlds. <laughs> yeah, he, he went straight up. to the pasta. <laughs> Damn it. Threw, threw himself out a balcony window thinking <laughs> aliens were invading. <laughs> and Orson's like, God damn it. I'm too good. Takes um, his girdle off in frustration. <laughs> 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 um, but he insisted um, that he was going to complete the film. Um, but it's clear that the concept changed several times. Wells stressed that unlike some of his other films, he was under no deadlines and regarded the film as, quote, my own personal project to, to be completed in my own time as one might a novel. Um, since he wasn't contracted. But this was at the point where, like, he had made Citizen Kane. He was basically make it was it was. I naturally want to say it was diminishing returns for the next 25 to 30 years. And then he's just like, maybe this is my thing. So he's like running his own shit and he's like, I can start and stop whenever I want. I'm writing my own checks. I really feel like there might be a good development. Hell on just everything Orson Welles did post. Yeah, oh yeah. Citizen it, Kane. <laughs> it's just such a bummer, though. So at yeah. one point in the 60s, mm-hmm. Wells planned to end his version by having Don Quixote and Sancho Panza surviving an atomic Fuck. cataclysm. Uh, I was I was going to say, when you said plans to end, I was like, what if they just got nuked? <laughs> and at the end, it's just Don Quixote gets out of the rubble and he's like, Sancho! And there's literally <laughs> just a mushroom cloud in the He's background. got a, an extra head comes out of his armor. <laughs> yeah, 
he says Sancho, and you just see Cyborg with like a tarp over him just come out from behind a taxi. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we are Sancho, cybernetic <laughs> android. Sancho, we live in a society. No, 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 no Kyle, you got you got four more letters. Cybernetic oh, no, android. Android, uh, uh, Chinese, um, uh, 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 homo, homo sapien, uh, 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 operating system. Yeah, that's what he is. And it's so you, so you're reading this Wikipedia page along with me. Then you're saying, um, that was that was Orson Welles's, um, uh. But believe it or not, Wells figured out that that probably couldn't happen. But um, Sancho, the giants are real. He did say that principal photography was complete by 1969. Um, How'd they get anything done that year? Everyone was just high fiving. It was 1969. (laughs) My movie's done. My hair was long. (laughs) Um, In 1972, Wells dispatched his cinematographer to shoot the Holy Week procession. Um, which is a uh, festival in in again another thing that I'm wondering like now I'm thinking must be from the novel too that it's during Holy Week or something yeah yeah exactly interesting like you know synchronicity apparently all this footage was lost again this movie hasn't it never came out Um, so yeah I was gonna I was gonna say now does do we know is Terry Gilliam like aware that like he has tried to take on like a project that like one of the yeah. all timers like could not finish. He was aware he of that came for he the king started. and he didn't miss baby. No, he missed a few times. No, um, he missed for about 25 years that he hit. Down. Yeah. They made a whole movie about him missing. Uh, hey, it one, was a long shot. One possible explanation for the film's lack of completion was offered by Wells comments to his friend and colleague, Dominique Antoine. He told her that he could only complete Don Quixote if he had one day decided not to return to Spain, since every fresh visit gave him a new perspective with new concepts for the film. So he's literally just like, oh, every time I go to Spain, I'm just enraptured and have new takes on this. That's not a reason to not finish a project. (laughs) At the time of his death, um, he was still discussing doing more filming for Don Quixote and had produced over a thousand pages of script for the project. I like what you say at the time of his death, like he was mid like, and then I'm thinking we do a, a, a nice dolly in shot and then just piano falls. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, somebody jumps out of a balcony onto him after yeah. hearing where the worlds. <laughs> it's been like 25 no, years and I they're still jumping well, out a window. Isn't it? I thought the story was that he, for the first time ever, finally listened to War of the Worlds. Um, and killed himself. Yeah, and, <laughs> he and didn't did realize everything. how scary was it was. Like, he was like, holy shit, there's aliens coming? Um, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, those people who did end it all when they thought aliens were coming, though, smart. Smart people. <laughs> Good call. I know, and now we're just like, show us the aliens, cowards. Yeah, I need I need 12 years of fuzzy videos. We're <laughs> all <laughs> Um, well, so fast forward to 1989, where Terry Gilliam first reads the novel 
um, and starts figuring out how to adapt it. Um, he just, I just imagine we cut to Terry Gilliam and he has like long 80s rocker hair. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like finishing a novel and he's like, groovy. He saw a personal project in adapting Don Quixote as it embodies many of the themes that run through his own work, such as individual versus society and the concept of sanity. Like that's something to this point, because I love that we all love this movie is it's so effective in making you wonder what the fuck is happening, like without losing any clarity. Without ever losing like a linear, like I know what everything that I'm seeing is, but I don't understand the context of anything. Well, that's the magic of like a Gilliam movie, though, you know, is like he's able to be like, trust me, like you're going to enjoy the ride, but you're not going to know what's going on. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like if you went to like if you if I took a child to Disneyland who never watched a Disney movie. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's interesting. No, I I, I don't know. I like uh I feel like he does because a lot of filmmakers try to do like, ooh, a character's going a little crazy, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but I feel like the way they unfold everything is really like kind of brilliant and because you only you only see weird shit through Adam Driver's character's eyes, right? Correct. Like you only so like you only ever see a giant as a windmill at the fucking end of the movie. You yeah, know which I mean? is in great. The last, which is awesome, and uh, and that and that scene is such a cool like homage to like his two thousands attempt <clears throat> uh, with like that forced perspective giants and stuff, which actually they look really good. Yeah, it um, seems to be the only thing that from that original attempt that is actually in this movie. Uh, at for yeah, I I love. I don't know. I just think that like it, it's such a. I don't know. It's just such a masterful, like it's such a master stroke of doing somebody descending into madness on through a movie. And I think like we said, it's those elements that like I was trying to tell Gina about this movie and she's like, it sounds like you're describing a dream. Yeah. And I'm like, right. Cause it kind of is like that. Like mm-hmm. it kind of, it kind of like red it, pill, the movie, like red pills look, you in a weird well, way. And the like, movie, yeah. Yeah. Like, what have I signed up for? The right. only logic this movie operates on is dream logic, you know, but never it's shoots like, it like dream logic, which is the no. the best part is that like when you when you see that it's um not real fire that she's laying over, it, there's mm-hmm. no big dun 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 moment. It's just like you're constantly trying to catch up with the movie just the way he is like when he pulls the washers out of his pocket so and it's good. not the coins. There's no dramatic music or anything. It's just like, wait, what do we have to you know deal with now? Well, and and like, I don't know, like there's just so many like so you get that great moment with like the the, the Spanish gold, which when you see it, you're like, I know I was like, is this real gold? Like this can't possibly be real gold. Right. And then you immediately it's followed up with him meeting up with the girl for the first time. And then in that interaction, you're almost like, is she real? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's such like an ethereal meetup uh-huh. where she's like in the mists of a waterfall and like, and then and she it all starts, works. Then she starts talking to, to Don Quixote in that, that heightened language. And you're like, is she, right. who is she fucking with here? Right. 
Um, yeah, it's very interesting because then then you start to be then I was like, wait, so do they all know and they all just fuck with this like crazy Don Quixote guy in their village? And then like kind of. Like, yeah, <laughs> I know. Is that not the saddest like existence? Like because that dude was there for like 10 years, like doing just like weird movie narration for this evil woman. Uh huh. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Terry Gilliam uh, sets up the movie with uh, Phoenix Pictures. Uh, in 1990, and just gonna, it was just going to be called Don Quixote. I would imagine it was Phoenix Pictures. I'm running for mayor of Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> um, Phoenix Pictures eventually is like just not going to give him the budget he wants. So he oh, a company <laughs> called Phoenix Pictures did come through with financing. <laughs> yes, let me see on Phoenix Pictures uh, still. They had around. to use all that money for the campaign. Now hold up, guys. Uh, Phoenix Pictures responsible for Black Swan, Shutter Island, The People versus Larry Flint, The Thin Red Line, and Zodiac among them. I've other seen things. some of those words. So Gilliam eventually leaves the movie um, to make a different project called The Defective Detective, which he also failed to make, but great title. Um. And That's Phoenix, so Phoenix Pictures uh, replaces Gilliam and casts the movie with John Cleese as Quixote, which what a shit ass move to like fire the guy from Monty Python and hire a guy from Monty Python. Hire his best friend. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Robin Williams as Sancho um, and a supporting cast that included Quincy Jones. But this movie also failed like seven years later was failed. So even Phoenix Pictures couldn't make it happen. Oh, yeah. Need a little, need a little horse for you. Need a little, <laughs> little Spanish silver. Oh, wow. In 1977, Gilliam said, the years I wasted on this one, I was so frustrated with Hollywood. I went after European money needing $20 million. And they said, you're on. But I found out I needed more money. That really hurts that I let a I let a project I'm convinced I'm the best director on the planet to do slip by. Um, so this is like one year before he starts to remount it. So he clearly like can't let it go as much as he probably knows he should. I'm the best to do it is a weird thing to say. Like I love that sort of energy going into a project. I mean, like I'm like the only one who can do this. Like I'm yeah. the- Well, I would argue he's one of the only people that like genuinely gives a shit about Don Quixote in the like mm-hmm. A-list Hollywood director realm. Yeah. You know, I- so I think when he looks at all his like peers who don't give who who like you said earlier are like yeah, why do I care about Don Quixote? I've like I read it in school or whatever, but like I don't give a shit. Yep. Like I think he kind of looks at all of them and just is like, wow, Orson Welles couldn't tackle this. Like somebody big has to because it's such a it's it's like a sleeper huge adaptation. You know it's what like, I mean? Yeah, like you course. don't think about it being hard, but then it really and like is hard. a really unsexy adaptation too. Yeah, like one that's not instant money. Like yeah. it's sort of like uh, Bradley Cooper, like picking up and finishing uh star is born after like uh Clint oh, sure. leaves you yeah. know and how it's like the thing he's always wanted to do and like it he bradley cooper kind of made the perfect version of that movie but the know? thing like, is that like this is a thing where it's it only has expensive things that aren't very exciting meaning yeah. horses and donkeys every day um it is mm-hmm. technically like a period piece western with no battles um mm-hmm. but lots of visual effects it's technically a comedy where we're not supposed to really we're supposed to pity our main character and they are after a fictional 
like delusional love. Like this is this is the point where that we make all the time of like you need the person obsessed with it to make it, you know, and you need yeah. to get out of their way if you can. Um, it's also like this movie seems like a nightmare to pitch to financers. Sure. Like imagine having to explain this movie's plot. Like, yeah, it's it's like the plot of like a space jam, but about IP no one likes. Right. Like what right. if a man was sucked into the world of Don Quixote? <laughs> like who? Who can hear me out? What if Don Quixote had the chalk? No, so this is the last week that's going to happen. Greenlit. Um, <laughs> Greenlit green instantly. So, and remember, we can't air that. People will kill themselves. Who would have known the man who killed Don Quixote would have the most jokes about suicide anymore? I know. The man who killed Don Quixote was Don Quixote after yeah, he heard more of the world. There you go. Um, so, and this is about 10 years after the adventure of Baron Munchausen, which is, which was con- pretty much Terry Gilliam's only flop. And it was a huge flop. That's the thing with him is that he, before, after made these weird movies that everyone liked and made a lot of money. You know, you had 12 monkeys, you had fear and loathing in Las Vegas, Brazil. Um, oh, he did fear and loathing. I didn't even know. I don't even know what movies he made dog. Yeah. Dog. Like. He made, he made movies. Um, yeah. And so that's the other thing where he's now it's it is a little even with general successes in the 90s, he still is having trouble making the movie. Um, and now we get into basically where the saga documented in uh, Lost in La Mancha begins. He eventually sets the movie up with European money. Um, sorry, there's a fight outside. <laughs> They're, they're just being like, listen, Johnny Depp in the two thousands could never have carried this no, movie. It's just, like, are you kidding me? It's the two thousands. You. They're like, I heard it. There are aliens. There are aliens. They're landing right now. <laughs> Turn on the radio, Janet. <laughs> Open your ears and your mind. Um, so, at the time in two thousand, it was set to be the most expensive movie ever funded exclusively with european money at 40 million dollars um but it quickly uh was brought down to 32 something we see all the time of this arbitrary like we've decided that yeah you've done everything you said you would do you've hired movie stars and we're going to give you less money you know but i think it really is just a matter of like you have different financiers pledged at different amounts and then it's yeah. like when this guy who you had like that dude, that Alexi guy in this movie, that feels like at least inspired by oh, someone sure. that he had to deal with as like one of these like European financiers and shit. Like that's a whole other thing like this, this weird like Russian mob mm-hmm. layer that gets added to everything in like the third act. You know what I mean? Like uh, it, it's another very interesting like uh, fever dream aspect of everything. But those that that Russian like that weird European money is something that this movie like does kind of play into in a, in a well way. he it, there's this effective moment where like this movie's been pretty fun and it's just been such a romp with those two hating each other and then when he has her lick her his boots the oh. movie is very much like do not ever think this guy's funny like don't start the, we are not doing jokes with this guy now yeah 
that that lick licking the the boot scene is like one of the most effective like mm-hmm. this guy is a super villain in three minutes like yeah. like it's so it would be so upsetting if it was if it all played on adam driver's face but to like actually it like you're like they're not gonna just do it with no music and nothing right and they just it's just so harrowing I think that like this movie has one of those coin flip moments where it could have been a different movie, but the character makes a choice to be bad. And so the rest of his journey is bad. And it's sure. when he finds the money and mm-hmm. thinks about turning it in. And then the music swells a little bit. And then when he decides to just not, the music stops instantly and you don't it's hear music for a good minute, you know? Hmm. Yeah, I thought I thought the moment that really proves that he's shitty is that like mounting when the police are asking, like, do you have a motorcycle? Because we saw like there's a whole I mean, just like when I say masterpiece of this movie, it's when you can think back to so many moments, like when that town is catching on fire, like after the yeah, like the, the hay bales go to the town and he like looks back and it's literally like on fire. And it's just such a great like metaphor for how he left the town the sure. last time he exited it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like he left it in this other kind of fire and it's just like, ah, uh, and uh, how Gilliam had to leave the film itself. Right. And it's just like, it, it, it's like, man, if you're going to make, if you're going to take 30 years to make something, it, it feels like he layered it all beautifully. And he really like reflected on his journey up until that point, And it's just like, a very personal feeling, effective piece of, of art. Yeah. It, it sucks that like a very personal like piece of art like this, like you can find this DVD in the cheap section at Walmart right now. I know. And you I know? Just, I wish Adam driver has seen this movie. I think he'd like it, but he doesn't watch any movie season. Neither does Johnny <sighs> Depp, man. The worst. That's like a, the, about actors when they say that I'm like, I just watch your movies. <laughs> just shut up for like 30 for an hour and a half and watch it. yeah like, um can you imagine like he had to tell spike lee like no i'm not gonna watch it i'm gonna i mean i'm gonna leave and, I'm and, not gonna and think it's not a race again. thing yeah, it's, it's not a, I, it's I, just I, something I, that i, I have to do i know it's important i just don't want to do it i just don't want to watch it <laughs> he is he is like easily becoming one of our finest actors though isn't he like Oh, he, I think he has. I mean, he, Adam, you know, Adam Driver is like one of our finest. You know what he's doing in this a lot, especially he's the most committed in the pre in the in the sort of modern world stuff at the beginning. He's tapping back into that girl's energy that we mm-hmm, haven't seen him mm-hmm. do. He's kind of an Ezra Miller where you're like, I feel like you are way better as like a fun, jovial character. But you you lend yourself to these dark, brooding people so well. It's nice to see him show that he is like a brilliant physical because that because that like he's like dancing with the PA or whatever, like the mm-hmm. assistant camera person is like such a nice the whole like, opening. You're still kind of like this guy's a dick, but like it, at least he's like kind of a fun dick, you know, like as they're starting up in Madrid, the crew is finding his vision too ambitious. You're seeing a lot of the stuff of like, you know, he's this documentary was originally just supposed to be a making of the film for the for the DVD or whatever. Um, so it's shot very similar to that kind of, you know, set up a chair in front of the stage and interview them. Um, but it's a lot of like, why can't it be like this? Or why can't it be like that? Or I don't understand why this is a question, you know, he's, 
got this thing. Well, I remember, so I remember a lot of like meetings with like him and like prop guys and the yeah. prop guys being like, right, we can't make a giant's arm articulate that many ways. And yeah. him being like, but then why are we paying $8 million for a giant arm? Mm-hmm. And he's and yeah. like, you know, <laughs> it's like, and at this point, the most of the actors are taking pay cuts to do it. There's this interesting thing I noticed where he's got a Christopher Nolan level of working with certain actors where he does two. He's done. He does. He does two depths, two Damons, two Heath Ledgers, two. You know, um, which is exciting. The idea that there might be an Adam Driver, Terry Gilliam movie to still to come. Oh, um, I would uh, after this, they they can announce anything, and I'm there. Um, so because of this, most of the actors couldn't get to the set for prep. Typically, for this kind of thing, you want the actor there as soon as you can. You want them in costumes. You want them talking. You want them on location for anything you can do, and they're just not there. So he and his department heads had to go to them. There's a moment in the documentary where he's describing that he has to fly to London, then to Paris, then to Prague, then back to Madrid to meet with his three lead actors. Um, he's also starting to do camera tests with the Giants, which was shot through forced perspective, wide lenses, the proper angle to just make a guy look bigger than he actually is. And, and now this is the part of the documentary that like I remember I remember this and the storm which I'm sure we'll talk about ah. in a second but like I remember these shots because it, it seemingly yeah was like the first stuff that they like shot yeah. uh, like all that they needed of or whatever and so there's quite a bit of footage of this documentary of just him like I think there was even footage of like the casting process where he's okay. like, no, 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 sweatier. So, yeah. Sweatier. So there's this <laughs> thing that's really unnerving with these three. So this documentary is about a lot of people who just make you smile. They're a lot, it's, it's all a lot of fun. But mm-hmm. there are these weird moments, too, where you have to keep in mind that Terry Gilliam is mostly directing and having these meetings through translators because it's a mostly Spanish crew and cast, right. including these three uh, giants who are, you know, they are large men. And what's interesting to observe is there's this like large men wrangler who seems to be like the guy (laughs) that brought these three guys in where he's like, it really feels like, like when Bruno's talking to the, 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 the dance moms, it's like Terry Gilliam's like no shirts too. Right. And the guy like looks at the three giants and he's like shirts, strip tease, strip tease, lose the shirts. And they just take their shirts off and run. And Terry Gilliam's like, more jiggle. Do a little jiggle. Do, put your hands in the air. Like <laughs> the thing about Terry Gilliam, the thing about Terry Gilliam is he's so excited by everything. It makes you feel like this is really nice and great. And we're all doing this. Gilliam has his shirt off as well for these. You know, it's one of your classic. Yeah, like, that's I'll okay. That's you. one of those things I remember is like, that was a very bizarre move. <laughs> yeah. But I also like, it, it's, it's weird because it seems like these guys showed up ready to do it without the shirt. They didn't need him to push it. Like, don't worry, I'll take my shirt off. They're like, our shirts are already off. You clearly want to do this. <laughs> yeah, look, you pay me a couple grand to be a giant in a movie. I assume you want um, these titties. There is a fantastic moment where one of the giants, sort of the middle giant, is comes in for a costume test because the camera tests are what. What's also unnerving is it's just like no shirts and khakis. Um, but he comes in for the costume test and he's like, he found out that it's Johnny Depp, and he's just like, uh, so. Uh, and this is through a translator. He's like, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna grab Johnny Depp and I'm gonna like squeeze and shake around Johnny Depp and Terry Gilliam's like yeah 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 and the guy the Spanish guy just goes from Chocolat 
Like into chocolate Johnny Depp. And it like makes Gilliam laugh. He's like, oh yeah, I guess so. The same moment plays out with one of these giants, but he's just like from from girls? <laughs> from Logan Lucky? Clyde Logan? Logan Lucky? I want to pick up Clyde Logan, shake him around. How many hands does he have in this one? Um, so six weeks before production, the horses need to be trained with the actors. Um, you know, it's one of those like the horses are supposed to shove or anything you see in a movie where a horse, you know, shoves a guy, you know, you see the witcher and the horse is like doing weird interactions and like is very like personed with Henry Cavill. Mm. That has to come from training like, okay, for six months, we're only going to teach this horse how to bump up a guy in the back. And we need to do it with Henry Cavill so it knows to do it to Henry Cavill. But this is, again, the problem of they can't get any actors in, so they can't train these horses. Sure. Um, so a hero and a tragic figure of this production is assistant director uh, Phil Patterson, who is... Now, okay, so are we... Is he... Like, there's that assistant director in the movie. Do you think they're kind of taking the piss on that dude with that or i think that by the just i think that by the end of the movie the movie is framing him as the enemy because he is sort of the first departure from the production that really tips the dominoes um but i see him as a proper ad and you know an assistant director is there to set schedules to of the entire shoot but also within each day of he is the guy saying, I need blank on blank. I need you in five minutes. I need here. He's got the one yelling. He's the one who's basically there to have the arguments and that make the minute decisions that it never have to get to a director. He's there to protect the process and keep it efficient, which for a production like this, it's just like, and this guy is such a legend. He's still doing it today. He hasn't worked with Gilliam since, but he worked with Gilliam on every one of his previous films. Um, so... He and so this guy, what like what else has this guy been assistant director on? Because it sounds like he's like kind of a like assistant director is one of those jobs in Hollywood that it's like, hey, a lot of movies we cover probably had bad ads, right? You know what I mean? So like that probably contributed. I'm gonna run way. through. I'm looking at a weird layout of an IMDb page. So, because um, I because I do think like those are those kinds of jobs that like will just never get. Uh, like like that like assistant director setting those schedules and shit is probably one of the most stressful jobs you can have on a set. Oh sure, and you've never heard an assistant director's name in the news unless their fucking mm-hmm. kid does an incel shooting at a fucking and, Santa Barbara college. And there's you know? no like, and there's no award and there's no talk of like when are we gonna get the assistant director Oscar going? And what? If, yeah, I want the assistant director's cut of Justice League. So. <laughs> Um, the one dude who kept telling everybody there was a Snyder cut for years was an assistant director. <laughs> yeah, it was him. He was like, "Yeah, guys, there's another cut." Like, I scheduled forty five thousand days on Justice League. We shot on every fucking one of those. He's his. They use his huge bags under his eyes. He's like, "You don't understand how many beauty <laughs> shots I had to schedule." <laughs> We're putting out the four hour fucking movie, <laughs> but it's gotta be a box. <laughs> to preserve my original assistant vision. Um, so uh, Phil A. Patterson uh, was the second, uh, I'm sorry, the assistant director on 
Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, 12 Monkeys, Empire Records, Scooby-Doo, Racing Stripes, uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine, G.I. Joe Retaliation, The Equalizer, 300 uh, Rise of an Empire, Terminator Genesis, The Infiltrator, um, and the most recent film is Robin Hood. But it seems like he assistant directs television now, too. Escape from Danamora, Yellowstone, Emerald City. Seems like he... uh it's not picking good jobs. Well, I mean, these are all good jobs to AD for. That's you know true. what I mean? Like, yeah. these are all seemingly good AD positions. You're going to get the infiltrator in the can on time. Yeah, you got. <laughs> we need someone who can equalize <laughs> yeah. the. Well, equalizer. it is like true that like all of these are just like sort of adaptations or something that they're like, turn this out real quick because like this sure. sort of trend is up right now. You it's know, so like happen. what kind of. What what kind of thing can we make that sort of matches on trend? Can we make a Robin Hood Kingsman right now? Let's do it. Right. I mean, this this feels like one of those guys that is like a very much like a studio hire of just like this guy will get the job done. He's yeah. solid. But at this time, he's he's very much a Terry Gilliam hire. Um, yeah, it seems like at the beginning of the of the career, it's very like he's a Gilliam boy. He refers to Terry as Captain Chaos as uh, it's like riding a I forget what he said, but it's basically like riding a horse where you just have to hold on and pray that you're still on it at the end. Um, so, all right, <laughs> the, the actor so uh, who he's cast. So he has cast in this film uh, Johnny Depp as Toby mm. and a f- legendary French actor, French stage actor, Jean Rochefort, to play Don Quixote, um, who is the first person to arrive on the set in Madrid or at, at uh, prep in Madrid. Um, now, Rochefort is a goddamn delight. This dude shows up and he's just he seems old. I mean, like we said, he's a very old man at this point, but he's so like, you know, he's like. I, I think about this and I think he learned English from scratch for this role. Um, he knows how to ride a horse. He um, has been learning English for seven months. He's like sitting there with, with, uh, with Gilliam and Gilliam's like, I want to add a nose to you uh, to make your nose look more Spanish. And, and the immediately Rochefort strikes a profile pose for Gilliam to start sketching Spanish noses like the guy is just so in it he's like I would love a fake nose so I could properly be uh, Don Quixote like he's so there it's awesome um, and it seems like the kind of thing I where love that. I think he and Gilliam had been talking about doing the movie for years at this point uh, and about you know half a year before he's like we're really gonna do it start learning English wow um, the only you only get that kind of commitment from like Jared Leto from a Jared Leto or a Jean Rochefort. <laughs> yeah. Those are the um, two. Jean Rochefort just sending dead animals to all his <laughs> Sending noses of dead animals. To Johnny everybody. Depp's like, this is cool. Um, wow. It's it's crazy that it's like the exact same armor. It like is. The Jean Rochefort literally. armor is like, is it's, it literally the same props? Literally the same wardrobe is used for Jonathan wow. Price with the bent up right shoulder. Yeah, um, so it looks good. Uh, so the last available soundstage in Madrid was used for interiors. Um, it when they arrive there, it's like a goddamn warehouse. It's the most echoey place in the world. Um, <laughs> there is a screaming air conditioner. 
basically they're having a meeting in it and terry is just like this is not a studio this is a garage this is terrible the air conditioner turns on and it's the loudest thing you've ever heard and he just walks away he's just so defeated by like and this is where i have to shoot interiors um it's kyle's apartment it's at this point, Kyle, like you said, I think all versions of Quixote have been plagued by bad things. So he is aware at this point. Again, remember, he's ten, he he tried to make the movie 10 years before this. Um, you know, it's just he knows this is not a thing. He's also worried that this is becoming a repeat of the adventures of Baron Munchausen. Like, have I bit off too much? Am I going to fail? I just kind of started getting back with 12 Monkeys and Fear and Loathing. Um they are now a week out and still no actors have arrived. Um, except for Jean Rochefort. Everyone's panicking. And at this point, Jean Rochefort is diagnosed with a prostate infection, which they say will, will clean, clear up pretty quick. Um, but their concern here is this dude's on a horse a lot, just bumping up and down on his booty. And this is going to be a problem down the road. Uh, I basically remember like in the documentary them being like gagged to the point of like the doctor being like, yeah, no, he'll be fine. He just needs to stay off a horse for like a couple weeks. And they're like, cool. We have uh, 78 pages where he's uh-huh. on a horse that we need to shoot. And <laughs> it also doesn't help that Don Quixote is on like an emaciated horse that is pure spine. Like it's just no. right on the fence on this horse. <laughs> oh, um, so Gilliam gets so excited at read throughs, by the way. Um, and camera tests and he's just like constantly just like this is gonna be great this is gonna be awesome okay interior blah blah blah. like he's just he loves it and the other thing is that Rashafor, like i said with his enthusiasm is constantly like yes like he's very brody stevens whenever anyone mentions anything exciting he's just equally excited in broken english he's like you want don quixote to be in immense pain i'll get a prostate infection right (laughs) So with a few days, the uh, real Don Quixote would never have antibiotics (laughs) (laughs) Um, with a few days before shooting. Johnny Depp finally shows up. And like I texted you guys, unfortunately, I have to report Johnny Depp, long hair, 1999 in like pre-production meetings, looking at like concept art and Polaroids is the most gorgeous, charming thing you'll ever see in your life. (laughs) Well, because in 2000, he is not who he is. Like, he really is an obscure weirdo until Pirates. You know? Yeah, kind of. Like, that's the thing. Like, uh, I remember, like, at that age, I feel like every girl we knew when we were in, like, middle school was, like, super obsessed with Johnny Depp. Like, they all thought he was super hot. Weirdly, like, secret window Johnny Depp. Yeah, like it was like his weird middle age renaissance and it wasn't even like, mm. oh man, do I love the Edward Scissorhands era where I'm like, yeah, where he was certified sexy. <laughs> no, they're like, I like him now, baby. I want yeah. pirates too, Johnny. Yeah, gross. At, like the teeth are starting to get really weird looking. The, the yeah, scarves are arriving. He's starting to wear scarves and sunglasses when he's not on camera and you're like, but what does he actually look like? Right. Yeah. And, and we'll never know again. Unclear. We're never we'll going to see him again. again. Yeah. Um, I think he's not wearing any makeup in Tusk. I think that's what he actually looks like. 
Oh, he's actually um he took all of his makeup off for Grindelwald. For Gr- he's yeah. actually albino. <laughs> That's how he <laughs> Honestly, that Grindel- is not Grindelwald is really his most honest performance. It, you're joking, but it's not the fur that like it doesn't not and look. Yes, like- it is the furthest. No. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I feel like you just days- said Grindelwald is not the. He's white. He has a glass eye. Yeah, that's like that's, that's white exactly hair and a glass eye spike. No, that's exactly where he's at now. <laughs> That's the most buck wild shit you've ever said <laughs> on this podcast. And we had a whole bit like two episodes ago about you doubled down on Amazing Spider-Man 2. <laughs> so the first uh, production day is at Las Bardenas, a nature preserve like a few miles out of Madrid. And the first scene to be shot is a scene that is not in this finished movie, uh, which is um, it's Quixote rescuing Toby from a chain gang. Um, which again, you can kind of see how that could squeeze in this, th- that could end up somewhere in what we've seen, but I get the sense he didn't want to shoot anything he tried to shoot in, in this production, you know, just in terms of like, uh, why would I, why would I do that to my soul? Why would I do that to like, why would I tempt the gods in that way? Right, right. Um, so that, so this is still the Johnny Depp version that he shoots with this chain gang scene. Yeah. He's shooting a chain gang scene with Johnny Depp among many other, like kind of all stocks like mm-hmm. chained together. Um, and so the one thing to note is that the extras weren't rehearsed as they're shooting. It's this whole thing of like, you know, fighting and, and it's, it's unclear exactly what the scene is supposed to be, but the extras are all supposed to sort of fight and dogpile and this and that, but it's clear that the extras aren't rehearsed. So it takes <laughs> a bunch of wasted hours to choreograph this. You know, and it starts to look like a film school thing where you're just like, there was no prep. There was no nothing. You showed I, up. on. I was going to I was going to say that feels like film school shoots I've been on where the director's like, and then everyone will just kind of argue and fight. And yeah. I'm like, right. But that is the part that you actually have to think about the most yep. to make it look good. Like, <laughs> And this is more him showing up and like finding out like, wait, so the extras weren't available yesterday. So what the hell were you guys rehearsing? Like. It's not so much uh, Gilliam seems very much mm-hmm. a victim of all this. I don't know if that's the film reframing it or if just like you said, Kyle, this is showing how films work that sometimes a director is not conveying properly. Or I, I really don't know what to take this. Well, yeah. And I don't so know if maybe it's just language barriers or like that, that could be uh, like uh, there's also like the thing that they kind of I feel like they kind of like say in this movie of like. Oh, well, we're out here in Madrid. So, you know, we're out here in Spain. So we kind of got what we got as far as like resources and yeah. shit. Cause you chose to put us out here in the middle of fucking nowhere, you yeah. know, like, which I feel like he kind of acknowledges in the Adam Driver movie with that, with that dialogue of being like, yeah, you know, if there's, I'd maybe just, <laughs> there's tons of dialogue, little like, Easter eggs to this production in the movie. Um, <laughs> so, at this point, he just starts like wanting to shoot close-ups. Like he just can't. I can't do any fucking, um, you know. I can't do anything with these extras. Let's just start shooting Don Quixote close-ups of him riding up to camera and saying, "Free these men." At this point, it becomes evident that there is a NATO base running aircraft tests really close to this area. So there is this insane flyover while they're setting oh, up cameras. Oh, man. 
I um I used to live across the street from the Air Force Base growing up, and so that's really? just my life is just. And it's one of those where like they're kind of almost doing circles, so it's this permanent sound, and they are all yelling at each other. It's like I think we can just do close ups and ADO. Like they're they're realizing they have to do post sound on everything because they were told this was only going to go an hour a day, but it's it's not stopping. It's constant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so on day two, uh, they're doing Johnny Depp's close-ups. Everything goes great. After lunch, a storm starts coming in and it's this (laughs) thing, it's this thing of like, you know, um, uh, they're, and this is, they're shooting the same scene, the same, uh, chain gang scene. It's this moment of like that Kyle, it's that thing on film sets, right? Where you see the clouds and you're like, well, let's all pretend we're experts about clouds and f- figure out where those clouds are going. Those are, uh, those are alto-cumulus. Those are zero <laughs> stratus. I'd be worried. But I'd say we got a few more hours of uh, workable light here. 100% <laughs> but in Spanish. Um, oh, yes. Uh, Simoy uh, alto-cumulus. <laughs> <laughs> so despite this... Um, a, a a take is cut mid take. Assistant director Phil Patterson interrupts a take and says, "Um, like we are, we are taking cover. We are getting gear under tents into cars. We're gonna wait this out. We all need to get like because there's thunder, there's lightning. It's right there. Um, while everyone's packing up, Terry Gilliam starts to go a little fucking crazy and just starts yelling, yes." Like he's very excited about this <laughs> and this storm gets quickly really scary. Like it's really shaking. Like people are holding down the tents over the gear. They're huddled up. It's a really aggressive, loud, scary, dark storm. It, it, it's literally like, like Richard for context, like the, the shot I remember specifically is like big set lights, like big, like 10 K lights, like floating down like rivers that didn't Aww. exist 15 minutes ago. You know what I mean? And like when they do grab a bunch of the gear, it's like, 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 you know, that like desert mud that like just gets in shit and it'll never get out. Mm-mm. Oh man. Like it's literally all the gear, all the shit, like an entire, like 10 ton grip truck. Everything is just caked in fucking desert hell dust. Like <laughs> the storm like Kyle said, flooded the location. Man. So this requires basically like everything to What's be reshot. What's the budget you think at that point of like the movie? Like what have they spent? Okay. Yeah. I don't know. That's the other thing is so movies are insured, you know, on equipment and property and health, but also days where like yeah. they're not positive though that these days are covered by insurance because they fall under – um acts of god force majeure or act of god yeah um so i don't know you know another funny funny reference they make in the yeah exactly he's terry gilliam movie they say like oh yeah well we'll we'll tell the insurance was an act of god (laughs) i really think that like he he looks at stellan skarsgård as like the boogeyman of this movie so they find out the insurance isn't going to cover these days now Fuck. at this point that's like, got to be one of the worst phone calls too because horrible. then you're like now i'm mega fucked yeah well for the insurance company they're like all right so what can we do to make us not pay them 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it's, well, they found, uh, they were like, yes, thank God it rained. What, uh, mm. are we all still rolling? Yeah, I'm good. Okay, so, uh, at this point there is, on day three, they are figuring out, um, what to do. Now the execs are there on set talking to the AD and there's this moment in this documentary that shows exactly what an AD is there for. He is trying to, Phil Patterson is trying to communicate to this guy. You know, he, the, 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 the exec is like, why can't you work? Why can't we do this? Can't we go do interiors? Can't we go do a scene in the taxi? Can't we go do this or that? And the AD is communicating. The only thing we can do today is regroup and figure out tomorrow but we can't just pick up again. Like this location is dead. This, our first few days are dead and we can't just suddenly go, okay, everyone hustle up and get into the, get to the sound stage in Madrid. Um, and right. You can't just be like, all right, we'll meet everybody in two hours at the sound stage and we'll shoot the taxi scene. But it's like, this, it's yeah. like, no, we need to plan out tomorrow's taxi day yeah. and figure out the best way to shoot it and how we can maximize. Like he is being an AD in this moment, mm-hmm. too, like a good AD kind of. Like so so they shoot some bits here and there for a few days. But on day five, um, Jean Rochefort is very clearly hurt. Um, from his uh, from just sitting on the horse so much and it's taking him a very long time to be on the horse he can't act he's so distracted by the pain um, the ad and the producers and terry they all want him on a horse but he's like slurring his words like he is just not there um, especially like next to someone like johnny depp who's so eloquent and so like animated next to him it's just it's not working it takes two men to get rochefort off the horse and it takes him 40 minutes to walk to his car like they are just like what are we doing putting him on a fucking horse and those two men are are the giants too which so that's like yeah men. oh yeah <laughs> and they and actually they transferred like, to his car via windmill a lot yeah you're telling me i'm i'm gonna be picking up the guy with the bladder infection <laughs> You mean the guy with the gross prostate? I get to pick him up and put him on the ground. Um, <laughs> that's got to be the worst too. Like that's so embarrassing to have I to know. like this whole big crew. They're like, "Hey guys, sorry, my whole Gooch area just really hurt." And <laughs> this, it's, this it's horse like is doing a number part, on my asshole. It's the part that's touching this horse all day. Yeah, <laughs> like. And it just sucks, too, because like like you were saying, this guy was so excited to do the part and Terry was so excited to have him do the part. And then it's just like there's just a medical thing that like it needs to be taken care of. Well, the other thing is like, you know, he's been learning English for seven months. I guarantee you he didn't learn my asshole hurts. You know, like I'm sure he think they teach you did not learn like, guys, I think my prostate (laughs) infection is flaring up from this horse. You know, he did that one, he missed that day. Um, so uh, now that's the end of the first week. And they watch dailies or weeklies, I guess. And now it's, and Kyle can attest to the seeing that doc is like the movie they were shooting with, with th- that they were shooting looks really cool and looks really intense and gorgeous. And, you know, this is the first movie that, uh, that Gilliam ever shot on digital. And it kind of, it still does look a little digital. You know, it loses that texture that you get you know not to go down that rabbit hole but like there's something so great about the shots he was getting with Depp and Rochefort 
Um, now, at a meeting that weekend, everyone's together. It's him. It's his uh, cinematographer. Everyone but the AD. The doc explains that typically when a movie is not going well in this way, the first solution is always to replace the AD, mm. um, which Gilliam is standing up for. He's like, look, if he goes, I go because he and I are like the only people trying to actually make it. Um, yeah. Also, it's like <clears throat> seemingly like none of this is his fault. Yeah, for like, sure. Nothing has been things that an AD can prevent with like a better schedule. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? Like no one's going to be able to out schedule this French guy's prostate. Although there is this <laughs> other thing. Yeah. Well, that's the, I think that is what saves him because if it wasn't for that, it would be like, why did this guy schedule two weeks next to a goddamn air force base? Sure. Um, sure. But, but it's also like, well, even if it w- did work, you know, this, we wouldn't be making a movie. The cin- the Italian cinematographer, who's a, who's another charmer. Um, he refers to that week as he goes, never in 22 years in my business have I seen anything like this. He refers to it as Svega, which is apparently Italian for negation of the pussy. <laughs> Meaning like it's so bad. Like it's an Italian phrase for like the worst it, thing ever. Uh, it's uh, which is not pussy. It's yeah. the worst thing ever <laughs> in Italian parlance. It's just not getting pussy. How so was he was shoot? like, yo, uh, yo, Don Quixote was awful, bro. It was like we didn't get any pussy. <laughs> hey, I can tell you what Don Quixote wasn't, and that's pussy. <laughs> I can tell you the one thing that we're going to Don Quixote was not pussy. <laughs> The negation of the pussy. He explains that to executive producers in like a hotel lobby. He's like, tell you, so there's a pussy, you negate it. He's like sitting long on a couch. Like he's the only one on the couch, and he's just like, he's for Svega, Svega. And Svega's bad. He's like the negation of the pussy. I am obsessed with the cinematographer. That is pure cinematographer energy. Yeah. When there is a, because like, if, if, do you think he gets a great shot and he's like, that is some pussy? <laughs> no, that is not Svega right there. The dailies come uh, in no, and it's a little it, soft like, and he's like, ah, no pussy. <laughs> like, like, just there is like an energy to DPs. Yeah. And their energy is like, they they are not there to solve crises. They are there to they're there for pretty pictures. Pussy. Yeah, and they're there for pussy, baby. They are like nerdy <laughs> technicians, and they are all, like there's um if if you if one great Instagram follow is feeding Papa Michael who like shoots like George <laughs> That's a name. movies and make these like really really like sweet and gorgeous sorry his name is freedom (laughs) papa michael what is his name p-h-e-d-o-n feeding papa michael he's feeding papa michael (laughs) i'm feeding papa michael it is the negation of papa michael i'm sorry sorry. feeding papa michael asc Papa Michael sounds like a different movie <laughs> by Terry Gilliam. <laughs> he directs <laughs> Papa Michael. The poster is like a little boy with a spoon of porridge. So something to note about feeding Papa Michael ASC. <laughs> it's absolutely is, the funniest name I've ever heard. It's the funniest 
on the head character, dog. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Michael. Even Papa Michael. Oh my god, it's so fucking funny. Uh, more talented than I'll ever be, but man, what a good name. Uh yeah, no, here's the thing. Like we're Duncan and he's like way better than I us mean my man way. my Just man shot names. funny people. His name. Hey, That's a good movie. Yeah, you know, I know, but movie. at some point, you know, Adam Sandler had to be like, "Hey, feeding? Am I? Uh, where am I? Yeah. At? How wide's the shot? Where? What is it?" Hey, you Papa Mike. Point, should I be over At here? some point, Bo Burnham was like, "Sorry, what's that guy's fucking name?" Yeah, feeding <laughs> Mr. Pop. Well, he was probably respectful. Called him Mr. Popham, yeah. Papa Michael. Mr. Papa. Um, recently, Do you think shot, it's Papa Michelle? Look, here's the thing. Um, there ain't no way it's Greek. <laughs> I think it's feeding Papa Michael. God damn it. Um, but no, yeah, to, to what you said, just in the last 10 years, he has shot um, uh, Ides of March, The Descendants, This is 40, Nebraska, The Monuments Men, Downsizing, Ford vs. Ferrari, and The Trial of Chicago 7, and he'll be shooting the fifth Dude. Indiana Jones. He's really good. You, we are going to watch yes. a really great, classy Indiana Jones 5 credits that includes cinematographer feeding papa michael asc feeding papa michael um only nominated work, all that work never an oscar win one nomination for nebraska and that's it downsizing is like very beautiful but a movie i am not interested in every time board versus ferrari looked really good too though that was good so i'm surprised i didn't get like some kind of a nom uh yeah it was it caught a couple other noms but not not an oscar um yeah he's uh he he the man does work, Mr. Papa Michael shows. Put some respect on that funny name. Hey, he feeds Papa Michael, that's for sure. <laughs> if anyone's yeah, with feeding, all those, with all those big movies, Papa Michael eating. His, uh, his wife is named Eka Chichua. Okay, here's the thing: you can't have a <laughs> wife named Cholula when your fucking name is no, Papa Chichua, Michael. Chichua. No, listen. <laughs> You, well, are you surprised? There's that, only one person feeding Papa Michael, and it's if, feeding Papa Michael. If it's Echo, if you type in Echo Echo Chichua into Google, it it assumes you really misspelled Chihuahua. <laughs> yeah, Echo Chihuahua, and it's some sort of like Chihuahua that has evolved. Yeah, past it's sight really hard to location. find. It's really hard to find this woman. I'm just finding pictures of Chihuahuas. <laughs> One time, me and Kyle, uh, me and Kyle Googled Chihuahua and went four pages deep on a photo of a Chihuahua and put it on Craigslist as found and put our friend's number on it. <laughs> uh, he got phone calls for about two months. Jeez. <laughs> um, all right. One last correction. I really think this woman's name is misspelled on Wikipedia. I think her name is Eka Chihuahua. <laughs> I don't think that's I think possible. that might be what her name is. Well, it seems like she's changed her <laughs> name. She took his name. It's Eka Papa Michael. How would you not? Yeah, you got it. I mean, when those are your choices. <laughs> she's like a chihuahua no more. She is a designer. No, I am she, a Papa Michael. She's a designer, but very gorgeous. Don Quixote. 
Um, oh man, how did that even? Oh yeah, okay. So the the director. So so far, it's been the negation of pussy. Um, and <laughs> as the producers look to replace the AD, everyone steps in and goes like, well, no, he's like you said, Kyle, like, what is, what do you think he's doing wrong? We're just getting fucked here. Um, by day six. Uh, okay. So, um, over the weekend, uh, Rasha four flies to France to see his doctor, um, leaving doubts about what they're going to shoot. Cause he's Don Quixote. Like, and even in. You know, you watch uh, the movie we have now, there aren't a whole lot of scenes just him, you know, especially if like uh, just Toby, like it's it would be hard to find like a full week of stuff to shoot right on the fly if you don't have those sets yeah. or that stuff ready. Totally, totally. Um, so they start shooting. Uh, uh, Terry wants to shoot something and the 80 just wants to figure it out. Terry's like, well, we just need to keep shooting um, on day six that next Monday. They're shooting something by a waterfall. Now, I thought that this was similar. It, it, it looks like the same location, actually, as that waterfall scene where, you know, Driver does the song and dance and there's the whole shtick there with the three of them. But it's a totally different scene. Again, there's really nothing from this original script in the movie. Um, now, the film's principal investors arrive on set this day and there's like 25 of them. That's always when shit goes wrong. It's and it's like- just a bunch of like tourists. You know, um, and yeah, like you said, Richard, like it, at this point, we are they're seeing the ramifications of a horse that hasn't been trained to do anything with Johnny Depp. So despite Johnny Depp showing up and doing his thing, um, the horse is just not doing its thing. It's not shoving him in the back like they're supposed to. So they're kind of poking and prodding this horse and nothing's happening again, all while like 25, you know, like Disneyland tourists are watching with binoculars from really far away. <laughs> um and at this point, Terry is really starting to like snap. And at this point, when this day wraps, uh, a producer is going around and telling everyone, we're not shooting tomorrow. Stay tuned. Like call the office tomorrow afternoon. We're not sure. And that, again, speaking to film school sets, it's always scary to be like, we aren't shooting tomorrow, but like keep your schedule open, you know, of like. It, it's really dire and, and Terry's just sitting there defeated. Um, they get another call that Rashafor will need another week until he's healthy. Um, and at that point, the AD is like, even when he's here, I'm not putting him on a horse. Like Kyle said, like they're like, he can come there, but he, he can't be on a horse. He can't be do anything strenuous on his ass. They find out that he has not it's not so much the the prostate infection but there is also a herniated disc so like this dude is just shredded back there <laughs> like, like he's just at that point they're like you're just like fuck, he's out yeah, yeah like you know what you I mean? get rid like, of as him as much as you want it like which he's just not compatible with this role a similar fate to to the to uh orson wells's you know like you like this is again that the problem of hiring a a very old man to play Don Quixote. You know what? Don Quixote should be a baby. (laughs) Yo. Baby Quixote. Okay. I'm now this sounds like some pussy. Go on. (laughs) (laughs) No, we're not connecting those two. (laughs) So the insurance adjusters, (laughs) so the insurance adjusters start investigating the claims from the cursed first week. You know, they, they the insurance sure. adjusters show up and they're just Sega. like, what happened last week? 
<laughs> to determine if last week was Svega or not. Yeah, well, they're like they're like, I like the idea that the insurance adjusters are like now. Now, technically, you had giants on this set. Now, that does violate our giants clause. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we're going to have a guy come in here. We're going to see if everything is uh, up to pussy or not. All right. So uh, why don't you just <laughs> yeah. wait here, like grab some eggs. <laughs> uh, trust me, this guy's this guy's name is uh, R- Robocon Nightfoot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so as they're doing this, Terry still like tries to kind of keep it all alive. He's still looking at props. He's entertaining himself. He, he's got this infectious energy that I'm sure if you have a meeting with Terry Gilliam, even in this kind of setting, you're like, wow, we're making a cool, we're making something cool here. And that, and I remember that from the documentary of like, like this feeling of like everybody else being very, very worried and Terry Gilliam almost like like 30% too much being like, but, but look at these props. Yeah, I know. I mean, that armor, pretty cool. Which starts like. to have the echoes of the Don Quixote story, you know, yeah, yeah, like totally. this guy who totally. no one can convince him this isn't what it is. Um, So at this call, they get another call that, that he needs 10 more days. Like they Russia is not going to show up again. And the insurance claims that this was, uh, that pretty much all this has been an act of God and isn't covered by shooting, uh, by insurance. So the shooting days are uninsured as well as the ability to reinsure Russia Now Fuck the problem yeah. with that is that, uh, that Gilliam Depp and Russia are what are considered key players. Meaning if any of them are not in the film, the film has to be refinanced. The financing deals were created on like, we give you this much money because it's these three. The second one is removed. You have to start from scratch on financing. Right. So it's not even as simple as just like replace the old guy. Yeah. Like it's literally if you do that, the whole film has to come apart and then be re-put together. And then we get back. We try to get back to this point. Absolutely. Now, Ugh, at, what a nightmare. And at that point, it was just another sad week of waiting for the insurance to finally pull the plug on the film after six days of shooting uh, in November of 2000. The movie and the screenplay were reverted back to the insurance company. Second time we've seen something like that happen, um, where the insurance oh. company just owned the movie. And within six months, Gilliam, despite saying he really wrote off the film this time, started trying to figure out how to buy the script back and started trying to make it again. And that was like, because that 2000s is when also there was like Battlefield Earth and Dungeons and Dragons. So I could see a studio being like, I don't think your weird fantasy adaptation is going to work. Yeah. You know, like that's sort of weighing on it, you know? I can definitely see how a Dungeons and Dragons movie with Jeremy Irons cackling on screen would make you think that this is not going to work. <laughs> like where you have an old man like right. cackling on screen in a weird like fantasy movie that you're shooting in, in Europe and you're like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and then it, it faces that same like production problem uh, uh, game uh, uh, Gangs of New York had where it's like they were on, filming on an island that didn't have an elephant. <laughs> and they couldn't get shit there too. Right. You know? it's yeah. Like, yeah. It's, so it's like it, it's paralleling problems other movies are also having. So I can mm-hmm. see them being like, maybe we should cut the cord. Uh, not only is it like an intense development hell, I feel like it's also like like one of the 
Like it's rare that you get this much documentation of a development hell. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a lot of stuff like there's there has to be like when we did L.A. Noir, like there has to be like articles written years later that give insight where it's like this has like this great documentary that got produced. You know yeah. what I mean? That really like puts a lot of this stuff in uh, perspective. That was ironically originally meant to just advertise like to be like a look, this is how they made it. Like it was. These guys ended up right. with footage that they're like, well, there's no DVD to put this on. Let's cut it into an actual movie. Um, so after the production had been canceled, an insurance claim was filed on behalf of the film's investors. $15 million was reportedly paid and the rights of the screenplay passed on to the insurance companies. From 2003 on, Gilliam kept trying to make the film, but to no avail. His first, few, uh, first new attempt six months after the release of the documentary was turned down. So at that point, he just starts like, Trying to make it like whenever he gets a second similar yeah. to similar to um what's his name to Orson Welles of like, eh, I kind of make this when I can or when I want to or when I can try to. Um, or it'll seem it kind of feels like and I don't know, but it kind of feels like one of those things that like <laughs> probably everyone in his camp is like, Terry, can we let's pitch something else? <laughs> And he's like, no, no, I really think these money guys will be into the Don Quixote thing. And they're all just like, B buddy, buddy, mm -hmm. can we please do anything other? Can we do 13 monkeys? How about that? So <laughs> about, uh <laughs> Ocean's 13 monkeys. <laughs> Gilliam made other films in the meantime. Uh, and this is a quote from him. Every film I've done since then has been because I couldn't get Quixote made. Uh, those other productions mostly collapsed, Oof. though, like a Nicolas Cage led the the defective detective still great um or an adaptation of terry pratchett neil gaiman's novel good omens which was canceled after 9-11 due to the content being judged too dark you know in that phase of like we only want to make x-men or you know we only want to make fun light stuff yeah interesting we'll have to i think we'll we'll dive into the good omens at some point we'll do some gaiman stuff at some point it's seeming like gilliam is going to come up we're going to cover a lot of gilliam movies weirdly so he notably clashed with the producers Bob and Harvey Weinstein on the making of the Brothers Grimm, leading to them firing his Italian cinematographer, Nicola Pecorini. Now, how do you think he reacted to being fired? That's not very pussy. <laughs> I will say, do you think do you think it was just because he was sitting there on a couch while everyone else was standing up and he was just being like, I don't understand this jerking off into plants. <laughs> plants are Svega. <laughs> Spencer is Vega, very Vega. You, should you don't want to come on a plant. <laughs> yeah, uh, Harvey was like, why is he talking about not pussy? <laughs> this guy's dumb. <laughs> Harvey, Harvey, they kept Harvey busy for a week by just like filming him in the desert with his shirt off, like <laughs> yeah. running around. No, like, Terry Gilliam tried to make him as make him one of the giants. What if the giants were yeah. Bob and Harvey Weinstein? <laughs> Bro, that would be he's like, so you're saying I'm gonna grab everyone in Hollywood <laughs> and hold them? <laughs> <laughs> you had me at grab. <laughs> and of course, the maybe the mo second most famous, I guess, is uh, on Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, where he had to replace Heath Ledger midway through shooting with three other actors. The, the concept of how they did that, though, was good. The movie, not sure. Much. I mean, he's obviously probably the best at adapting to a shit ass production, you know, like 
he's just he just knows like all right well plan b like he's had to use plan you know l so many times shooting but i mean that's kind of the whole thing is like this whole this whole movie like the movie that we actually watched the 2018 adam driver movie is the ultimate adapting to a shit circumstance right like oh yeah it's like the ultimate pivot and like well let me make a literal masterpiece out of my (laughs) most popular failure you know like yeah yeah and about and not not and still own that i failed like still own that it's about the fact i couldn't make this yeah and and like uh, and and out of the ashes phoenix pictures gets nothing (laughs) johnny depp was at times still connected to the project but it remained unclear if depp's filming schedule was going to let it happen because remember about this time like he's johnny depp it's just it might not happen um but he's got to film chocolate too and they're still buddies because he's in parnassus he's like they nothing was there was no love lost in this movie falling apart depp seems kind of cool and chill on the set even not a lot of roles Johnny Depp turns down, though, too, in that era. There's because Pirates of the Caribbean is like it's going full, full force those years. Right. Like yeah. Those are like in 2000. 2000- he's barely got time in between those movies because 2003 to seven. He's like a machine being. Yeah. Yeah. He's That's all he can do in, t- <laughs> in 2009. <laughs> um, he was pre- he was promoting public enemies and said Terry and I have been have talked about it but to be honest the thing about Terry I love Terry and I do anything the guy wants to do but with Quixote my dance card is pretty nutty for the next couple years so I'd hate to put him in a position or ask to be in a position where he'd have to wait for me that would be wrong but also I feel like we went there and tried something and whatever it was the elements and all the thing that got up underneath us were there and happened and were documented well in that film Lost in La Mancha. So I don't know if it's right for me to go back there. I don't know if it's right for Terry, too. But if he wants to. See, like, kind of a, a very reasonable, good mm-hmm. response where he's like, he's like, I watched this thing get fucked with scheduling. And now I have, like, a proper movie star schedule for the next. Yeah. Like, because what year is this? 2009 oh, so he's promoting public enemies yeah. the uh the what's it called are over but he's you know he's johnny depp right and i, I mean it still has had like an insanely what? busy last sure there's know, still uh, there's still at least years. two to three more pirates of the caribbean movies after yeah but they've yet but they're that, kind of over you know? this remember this remember the quaint days the early 2000s where a trilogy meant it was over yeah sure um, sure, it, but it, but it is one of those things of like I, I do think like Johnny Depp is being kind of like <laughs> he's kind of being a good collaborator in this moment yeah. of being like, look, this thing was already really hard to make again, and I wasn't the thing that stopped it from getting made last time, but I think now I might be. Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> and I don't want to be the thing. So if he makes it again, I wish him luck, but he needs to like make it well, happen. Like- and he also at that time is making the things he's always wanted to make as a kid and they don't work out like the dark shadows and like um, Lone Ranger are things he had to move the needle on because he had the the clout to at that point. And so he's able to be like, no, I have my passion projects that I can focus on, too, while Terry like wants to do his thing. Yeah. So in 2009, winter 2009, uh, Gilliam says he has finished recasting the role of. Because Rochefort is still alive, but he's even older and probably, and you know, what the, there's no way. Um, but he apparently. His asshole's even worse. Yeah, it's way worse. So. He just needs one more week. 
this clearly is something weighing on Gillian. That's this massive thing. And he spent 20 years trying to make it with this dude. But in December 2009, uh, Robert Duvall, 20 years trying to make it with this dude. Robert Duvall claimed in an interview with Collider that he was the new Don Quixote. And this was later confirmed by Gilliam with with Depp still attached to star as Toby. But since Depp was signed for two Disney films, further production delays were suspected. This is exactly like, you know, what Johnny didn't want to do to him. Um, Yeah. And so Ewan McGregor was cast in the role in 2010. So there was a there was a 2010 version with Ewan McGregor and Robert Duvall. You win some, you lose some. (laughs) I could see I could weirdly see that version really working, too. Well, it's because like. At least everyone who gets put in the role of like Toby or like that sort of Sancho role is somebody who is like known to commit, you know, like Ewan McGregor will commit to whatever role he's given. Same thing with Adam Driver and same thing with Johnny Depp. Like they do the work. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. Um, so Gilliam entered main pre-production once again. Uh, and after finally retrieving the rights to the screenplay, he and his co-writer, Griso- uh, Tony Grissoni. Is that it? Tony Grassoni. <laughs> hey, it's Grisoni. me, Tony Grassoni. I'm walking here. Um, this is Tony Grassoni. This is Eddie Spaghetti. Tony Grassoni is an absolute. <laughs> this is Johnny like, Tsunami. Tompkins character. <laughs> um, I'm a contraptionist. Tony Grassoni's escape rooms. Try to get out in under an hour and your pizza's free. <laughs> 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 Oh my god, it's Saw theme now. Try to get out. <laughs> I really tried to make it a 90 minute episode, but there's too many funny names. <laughs> um, so Tony Grassoni. In 2010, Gilliam said that primary casting was finished with uh, Duval and McGregor still attached. However, on September 5th of the same year, he revealed that funding had collapsed a month and a half earlier, and as a result, shooting was delayed. By 2012, Duvall was still attached to the film, but not McGregor, with Tony Grissoni commenting the same year, um, us survivors of, us survivors of, us survivors of Don Q is, (laughs) us survivors of Don Q are a strange kind of dysfunctional family. Um, Every year since we have rewritten the screenplay, and we've got quite good at it. You will be pleased to hear that Don is back up in the saddle and ready to ride up under new colors. So he's literally calling him Don. Like, the Don is back. Like, he is falling into your weird pizza, like, like mob <laughs> boss character. Listen, we've, re- we've reimagined the Don Quixote script. It's now sort of a fast, casual pizza concept. We're calling it the man who killed Don Cannoli. <laughs> You come down, you get fresh made cannolis, you get you get personal pan pizzas to order, okay? We do garlic knots, it's kind of like a blaze pizza, like Chipotle situation. Yeah. Build your own. <laughs> and then we're getting quite good at it. <laughs> you'll be happy to see. You'll be happy you'll to be taste. You'll be happy to see. <laughs> hey, another comment card. Tell us if we're pussy or not. <laughs> order it's Fedka style. We've been, we've been rated four and a half pussies on Yelp. Um, in 2013, while promoting the Zero Theorem, Gilliam told Variety, I'm going to try to do it again. We'll see if it happens. I just want to make it and get rid of it. Get it out of my life. 
Um, in 2014, Gilliam published on Facebook that, quote, dreams of Don Quixote have begun again. Will we get the old bastard back on his horse this year? Uh, spoiler alert, they didn't. Gilliam stated that production would start up again in s- September of 2014. He loves, he, he really sets things up in September. He does love Septembers. Um, he's, a, he's an autumn boy. New concept art by Gilliam uh, collaborator Dave Warren was also released. Like just, you know, it was always exciting when a new thing from this came out. Um, how, how, how tired of the, of the name Don Quixote is Tara Gilliam's wife. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Well, I'm sure that's why they have to, him and his writer just start calling him Don Q. Like you just start finding new ways of referring to it yeah because right? think about how many times you've had to text the word quixote to another guy think of how many times he's had to like he's told someone i'm gonna go to the first product the first meeting on don quixote he's been to like nine first meetings <laughs> you know um so he just has him at his house at this point but you guys things are turning around because in 2014 uh gilliam revealed that he had received funding um and this is where he goes, our main character actually made a Don Quixote movie a lot earlier in his history, and the effect it had on many people wasn't very nice. Some people go mad, some people turn to drink, some people become whores. So exactly. So at this point, he has the script about the script, you know. Um, and cool. great news, guys. In September of 2014, they finally recast Quixote, replacing Robert Duvall with John Hurt. My boy. John Hurt, um, who at the time, fourteen though, he's still at the got time a was alive. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So in September 2014, interviewed Gilliam said, "Don Quixote next. That's my plan. But plans have nothing to do with reality. We shall see what happens. I really can't say anything at the moment because there's been a little hiccup once again. The Sisyphean rock that keeps rolling back. Just as we almost get to the top of the mountain, we'll see what happens. I'm not a happy camper at the moment." When asked why he can, but like that's the thing is like he actually did it. Is like that's so, so rare. It's so beautiful. Um, like it's so that he realized it was this impossible feat and kept trying and like actually did it's, it. It's, it's, it's like hard. really inspiring. It's hard to. Uh, I I can't reference. There is a follow up to the to Lost in La Mancha called He Dreams of Giants about from from the same filmmakers who made a documentary that's clearly much more personal to him and, and less of a process documentary. Um, I only have the trailer and a weird little collection of Adam Driver clips. Some like Adam Driver Stan account made like a, cl- mm-hmm. but it's um. There's this beautiful moment in it. I learned everything through fan cams, yeah. <laughs> where <laughs> the the Spanish crew pauses production at one point on the Adam Driver version and lets him know like this is the most you've ever shot. Like, we want to let you know, like, we are really doing this. Like, everyone geared up for this guy to actually make this. That even the, like, grips were like, dude, day seven, you fucking did it. <laughs> like, it's this beautiful. That's cool. Yeah. In 2015, Gilliam obtained a deal with Amazon Studios to release the film theatrically. Uh, and this would be following, um, this would basically be like right after Amazon started streaming. Though, in September of 2015... As things happened to this film in September, uh, John Hurt was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer shortly before filming, suspending production indefinitely. He eventually died from his cancer. Uh, Four months later, Gilliam paid homage to him on Facebook, but at that point, 
the movies that even John Rochefort had passed away. Like there's just no one. There's just not like the same year. So in 2016, um, Portuguese producer Paulo Branco um, promised that he would obtain the needed budget by September. Come on, that that's like a fucking car brand. Paulo like Branco. Paulo Branco. <laughs> <laughs> um, with the film having entered pre-production again, Gilliam cast uh, Michael Palin as Don Quixote, Adam Driver as to- uh, Toby, and Olga... Kirilenko as the female lead who is who is who plays the lead in the in the film, finished film. I haven't seen her in other things. What else is she's really good? She's, she's um uh she's in like the transporter, right? Like she's the girl in that. She's the girl. She's always been like you the have girl to transport me. She's the Bond girl in Quantum of Solace. Oh, okay, cool. Um, what else? Oblivion, Hitman. Oh, that's right. Black Widow. She'll um, be in Black Widow this year. I love when there's just an actor that's been in like eight movies I haven't seen. Yeah. Uh, you know? Johnny English Strikes Again. Oh, I do love Johnny Max English. Max Payne. You do. I know, she had I like a seven was... psychopaths. Uh, so tensions arose with producer Paolo Branco um, because Branco wanted creative control over the project. Oh, he wanted all wheel drive? He wanted all-wheel drive over Terry Gilliam's Don Quixote movie yeah. like now, 30 now years this, in. Now, this is one of the producers that's voted best in class by J.D. Power and Associates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This guy brings a five-star safety rating to every set. <laughs> he has side airbags, so he's very safe. I mean, like, it's that 23-point inspection that he really does on every set and well, that really sets it apart. It turns out this Paolo Branco was a real lemon. Um, oh, no. He, uh, though, despite having been warned against working with him, Gillian believed that he had no other choice than to collaborate if he wanted the movie to actually happen. Um, well, that really sugars my gas Encourage uh, Why? Bronco apparently produced uh, Cosmopolis, which was seen as a return to form for David Cronenberg. So I think Gilliam was just like, well, this guy clearly maybe I'm wrong and maybe he can still he'll let me do my thing still. He just wants to get the movie fucking made. And this dude's saying, like, I can get you move. I can get you the money for it. Sure. Um, Though Bronco felt that Gilliam had a deep hate towards producers. Shortly before the 2016 Cannes Film Festival, Amazon withdrew from the project because of Bronco's reputation as producer. With uh, and if you got Amazon pulling out, yeah. Nevertheless, Gilliam stated during the Cannes Film Festival that the film would start shooting in October of 2016, just narrowly missing September. Um, conflict escalated further when Bronco tried to reduce the budget down from the promised 16 million. So now, remember, he's originally going to shoot it for 40 in in 2000. In 2000, shoot it for 40. Let's go down to 32. Now it's 16, and this guy says it's not going to be 16. He also cuts Palin's pay from 285,000 euros to 100,000, which deeply angered Palin. Uh, when Gilliam wrote to Bronco to complain that Palin's unexpected salary cut felt like a slap in the face, Bronco answered the film's need uh, answered that the film needed a true producer, referring to himself as the captain of the project. In addition to severing ties with several other production companies interested in the project, Bronco soon tried to reduce the salaries of other crew members, including the hairstylist, the assistant director, and Amy Gilliam, the sec- the unit production manager, who is also Gilliam's daughter. Yo, uh, I 
would uh that do Steiner robbery. That yeah. is fucked. Like he's just like coming in and being very shitty. He's just being a corporate guy. Like he's being like there. a corporate says we have to, you know, downsize in some areas. And then it's really just all in his favor, you know? It's just stinks of just bullshit. It's just like you can't him. make a you can't make a $20 million movie for $12 million by paying everybody less and firing half the people. It's not, it's not how it, like, like other companies, maybe you can like do that by like scale it down and make it more profitable and then scale it back up or something. But it's like a film doesn't work that way. It doesn't, they don't work like that way. It, yeah. it's a, 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 you know, I think it's like Spielberg said or George Lucas or something. Somebody said like, you know, a bad movie is bad forever. You know, like, <laughs> like the money you spend on that movie is spent forever. Well, and, and Fincher has that great take of like, you know, everyone gives Fincher shit for running, doing like 45, a hundred takes of things. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Okay, so we 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 spent all this time figuring out what the walls were going to look like and what the extras were going to be dressed as and what the table was going to be set with. And then we built it all and spent millions of dollars doing this and then millions of dollars on transportation to get us here. And then they were in hair and makeup. Why would I only spend four minutes doing this with the actor actually sitting at the table? Like, why is why is time considered the 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 thing we need to hurry like why is yeah. making the movie the thing we need to hurry through we've spent two years planning all this out can we do it <laughs> like i guess yeah because we're gonna we're not leaving we're only leaving with the footage we're not leaving with the set right um so bronco also tried to push palin away from the project c- considering him too old to have his own sister hired as costume designer to have filming moved forward by several months and to have the film shot in digital instead of the 35 millimeter film Gilliam wanted. Some of the film's other producers and its distributor stated that Bronco told Gilliam, quote, either you make this film my way or you irredeemably compromise the feasibility of the project and your film is condemned. It will never see the light of day. This guy's a dick. A monster. Like, and I yeah, also I hope he breaks his leg on a hike. Yeah, for sure. I hope he listens to War of the Worlds and is confused. <laughs> and I hope he's uninformed and listens to War of the Worlds. Like, it's this other thing of like Guys, I listen to this radio broadcast. I'm going to have to cut down budget. um, (laughs) Your daughter's not employed here. Actually, my sister is. I'm pretty sure aliens are invading. So uh, why are we doing this? So my sister's going to make the shirts. But uh, yeah, that's one of those things of like, you want to get mad at that nepotism. But then you're like, well, Terry Gilliam was having his daughter work on it. But like, also, maybe she's a good, you know. Yeah, exactly. Whatever she does. I don't know. Unit production um, manager. This is the other thing for him to threaten the movie at this stage in 2016. I feel like Gilliam's like, I fucking been here. You think you can tell me this movie's not going to come out? Yeah. It's also like, like he's, he's treating Gilliam like Gilliam is like a, a dude fresh out of film school on like his first or second feature. And it's like, dude, you're literally Amazon thinks you're shady, bro. They make yeah, people yeah. piss in bottles. Like, yeah, homie. That was probably a Bronco recommendation. <laughs> yeah. um, ultimately, Bronco did not provide. Believe yeah, it or we're not, gonna have to get uh, get rid of the toilets. Uh, we have bottles. Yeah. It's fine. Uh, so <laughs> my sister's gonna provide the bottles. Ultimately, <laughs> Bronco did not provide the promised funds for the film. 
When Gilliam complained, Bronco answered that he would, quote, not accept this kind of spoiled kid behavior. On August 6th, Bronco sent a mail to Gilliam urging him to accept his conditions, including the reduced budget, and to give Bronco full creative control over the project, threatening to cancel the project altogether and fire the entire crew and cast otherwise. Terry Gilliam answered that those demands were unacceptable and, quote, incompatible with the contract I have signed, while Amy Gilliam called Bronco's actions the behavior of a tyrant and a bully. In response, Bronco officially suspended production on on October 2nd, Gilliam kept on working, however, with new producers, stating, We should be here at the Cannes Film Festival next year with the finished film, and then you can ask me why I made such a mess of it and why I made such a wonderful film. Uh, And that's pretty much what he did. Um, Gilliam found new producers, started production once again in 2017. Driver and Olga were kept, and uh, Price was cast as Don Quixote, Jonathan Price being someone that had worked with Gilliam like a thousand times, like is in, is the main character of Brazil and is just sort of like the one guy he's kept on all of these. And is like so good, like so mm-hmm. in the pocket and has such an energy, but then also such like a gentle nature when he's like just the shoemaker, like he's mm-hmm. so good. It's just like this electric fragility. Yes, you know? electric for sure. Gilliam uh, set claimed that Driver was, quote, the guy I've been looking for all these years. That's good. Um, and I'm, I glad he say- doesn't, I'm glad he doesn't feel like he compromised because I do feel like this is the stronger of the two. Like, yeah, for sure. And and uh, Price was originally cast in the original 2000 shoot as a different character. Um, and I think just aged into being proper for the role, but had been asking to play Quixote for like 15, basically since they shut down. I think Price was like, look, if you ever try to do this again, never, never don't think of like always keep me around in your head for this. So, yeah, during filming in May, Gilliam stated, quote, in the end, we're doing this for much less money than we honestly need. But everyone involved from the cast and crew are all working their asses off for a fraction of what they would normally be paid because they just want to see this thing done. It's odd how being obsessive and not giving up can inspire other people to get involved. Fools that they are. He also stated it was terrifying starting shooting this film finally after, well, originally started in 1889. That's a long time ago. To be thinking, dreaming it, writing and rewriting it, it was a horrible feeling. Yet what's interesting about a film, at a certain point it starts making itself. So it's not actually the film I set out to make. This is a slightly different film. It's doing its own work and I'm just holding on for dear life. Driver said that Terry couldn't control his enthusiasm, nor how deeply ingrained this movie was within his body. It seemed like an exorcism every day we were making it. During filming, Gilliam commented on how well they were doing. I still worry we've had too much luck, so it could go wrong at any moment. Today, the clouds are building. They'll probably block out the light and we'll have to go home. But in June of 2017, Gilliam announced that filming had been completed 17 years after he had originally started shooting. The next day, Gilliam announced on Facebook that he had accidentally deleted the entire film. <laughs> That's a good prank. Which is a good bit. <laughs> That's a great bit. Wow. What um, a good bit. To just be like, oopsies, guys. Starts on lens cap was on the whole dang time. Oh, now, nuts. <laughs> one beautiful last thing here is that um, there were a few crew members who worked on the film between 2000 and the final product. Um, 
including Gilliam, his daughter, who co-produced the final film, uh, co-writer Tony Grassoni, production designer Benjamin Fernandez, and Italian cinematographer Nicola Pecorini. Wait, so did he end up shooting the actual, the 2018 movie? Hell yeah. Dude, that's all, that movie is that so pussy. Is the hey. pussy. <laughs> that movie is so pussy. Are you kidding me? He Fuck even yeah, developed dude. a way, because of the budget they needed to shoot on digital, which Terry did not uh, want to do, he developed ways and adapters and anamorphic lenses that would allow the movie to the, look the, pussy. the way Terry still wanted it to look, despite the digital camera. It looks great. Yeah. It's really um, beautiful. That last, that last shot is insane. fucking breathtaking. Yeah, the, um, with the but, sun. Uh, yeah, and then everything in that cave... Like with the waterfall it's cave, so pussy like inside of it with the girl is so, so fucking pussy. Like mm-hmm. there are some really breathtaking shots in this movie. Um, that's awesome that that pussy man got to got to take it back in the end. I love that the pussy man cometh. So we are at I would say the maximum length of, that an episode should be. I should mention. That there was one last legal dispute that almost prevented <laughs> the pussy this movie man. from coming out, where Paolo Branco no. uh, stated in June 2017 that this new version was, quote, illegal, and that he, not Gilliam, owned the rights to the film. There was an insane, it took a year of lawsuits. Um, in June 2018, the Paris Court of Appeal ruled in favor of Bronco owning the rights to the film. Bronco I hope he gets hit by a car jaywalking. Not only from Gilliam, um, but to all parties involved in the making, completion, promotion, and screenings of the film. You know what? I, I hope this guy gets. Uh, I hope. I hope Spike fucks this dude's mom. <laughs> which 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 our listeners have no idea why you just said that because you're gonna fuck his mom spike that's why i fucking said it that's why because guess what paulo spike's coming hide your mom <laughs> hide, hide your mom hide your mom hide your mom because i'm fucking all your moms <laughs> all three of your moms because like the bitch. first time hey, spike's gonna fuck him hey paulo what that mom do hey paulo <laughs> What's, hey, your mom, what's that mom do? Hey, Paolo, follow a lawsuit against Spike fucking your mom. Yeah. <laughs> All parties involved, bitch. It will be, quote, legal. <laughs> what that mom do? <laughs> Turns out Spike owns the exclusive rights to your mom. Fucking yeah, hey, I heard that you. I heard that you attended the undergraduate program in chemical engineering at the Instituto Superior Technico, but you did not graduate. Sounds like something... A person would do if their mom was gonna fuck Spike. <laughs> Paolo Branca is human Svega. Dude, he is just—he's just the human yeah. interpretation of not pussy, dog. The, you are the human negation of the pussy. <laughs> I like how that is. Like, it's not even—he's <laughs> human, not pussy. It's—it's it's such a beautiful turn of phrase because it's not even like I don't even think it's sexist. Like it's not no. even like it's it's kind of beautiful because it's just saying like everything that's beautiful about a pussy. This is not it. That's the thing. <laughs> the saying is is propped up on the the notion that that pussy is the most beautiful grand thing in existence. <laughs> Which is where is delight? <laughs> Guys, this was a great pod. Uh, thank you so much, Spike, for that fun research. This is a this is a story that I I didn't know 
had such a great ending. Uh, yeah. And I'm really glad that this movie came out. If you haven't seen this movie, this movie fucking rules. So you'd say you it was worth it. it. I think actually this one was fucking worth it. Hell yeah. Because we got a great movie that I think was better than even the movie he initially set out to make, which like the the development hell made it better. Mm-hmm. And I think that speaks to Terry Gilliam's ability to to stick and move. Now, I do think this movie was just uh, just topped here. You know, like it's going to live forever as like an in-between movie, like on a streaming services where it's like you don't know anything else to watch and you can put that on. And other people, yeah. be like, hey, you know, that movie's kind of good. <laughs> it's the kind like, of movie that's on Hulu, honestly. Like it's the kind of movie that you'd realize, oh, it's on Hulu. OK. Yeah. And uh, I watched it's it on just, Crackle. With about nice. 40,000 ads. Yeah, free with ads. <laughs> Every 25 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, I think it's just, if we compared, like, Johnny Depp and Adam Driver, like, career-wise, now they sort of kind of can do the same thing. But it's, like, I think Adam Driver can, like, just excel at everything Johnny Depp, like, can try to do now, you know? And so it's, like, good that it's, like, the plus version, like the development hell that was Johnny Depp's career led to Adam driver having a good career because he fits that type. You know, this is probably the most difficult process and most worth it. Yeah, well, how do you think say. the, uh, like Terry Gilliam's first orgasm after this movie was complete though. Huge. Was probably oh, like, man, God, he probably hosed down he, six he city fucking, blocks. He flooded the Madrid desert again. He's like, we can't shoot here. <laughs> it's too ropey here he went to that canyon and just (laughs) dumped it they called it an act of god and his insurance didn't cover it (laughs) his ad tried to cut it off mid women got pregnant that day his ad is like listen we cannot come to today what we need to do is plan out how we're gonna come tomorrow I gotta shoot something phil (laughs) I gotta shoot I gotta fill something the investors are here next week. Can we take those guys' shirts off? <laughs> oh, my God. Hey, Kyle, what are we going to talk about next week? So, okay. We had so much fun uh, with our with our monster-themed month uh, that I thought I thought another, another themed month would be really fun. Uh, and that new Fast and the Furious trailer uh, just dropped for for F nine. Dope. Um, and I've been watching all the Fast and the Furious franchise uh, <laughs> with my beloved. Uh, and uh, we've just been, yeah, with Mitch. <laughs> with, with your Babu Frick action figure. With, yeah, with my my big titty queen Babu Frick. Um, and uh, no, I, I thought it'd be fun if we did uh, development hell on. Uh, Fast movies go voom voom. Um, so we're going to be doing uh, car movies, fast movies. That's kind of the general theme that we're going to go to. Like the last one was kind of monstery. This one's going to be fast cars. So the one I want to bring to the table uh, might be kind of obscure for some of the listeners. But if you haven't seen it, and even if you're not an anime person, I'm not an anime person myself, um, but I respect the art form of it. Uh Check out this movie. It's called Redline. It's what we're going to cover next week. It is a uh, death race at the end of the universe. Um, And it is super badass. It was like meticulously animated. We'll get into all the details, but uh, this movie does a lot to use animation to try to replicate 
real cameras and real shots and it's it's it, but like heighten them in a way that you can't even do in real cinema so it's very cool you can find it free on tubi t-u-b-i I'm sure maybe free with ads, but you can find it. You can stream it now. Just and a a warning to the listeners to not watch the Eddie Griffin movie also titled Redline. No, because it is not that movie. Yeah, Richard burned Um, uh, an hour and 83 minutes. (laughs) Now, an an hour hour and 83 83. (laughs) minutes. So two and a half hours. (laughs) No. Eddie Griffin movies. It's a different kind of time code system. Well, this episode is going on a half hour and 110 minutes. So I'm going to say thank you to Tizzy Mav for our great theme song with our names in it. Um, You can catch us on Instagram at Dev Hell Podcast. Um, And I think that wraps it up. We'll see you guys next week. We promise. Bye. Bye. Bye, demons. I love the smell of dog shit. Papa Michael.